This is Leadership Letters, the podcast reflecting and discussing all things leadership. So welcome again to episode six of the Leadership Letters podcast. I'm Lizzie Bentley-Bowers and in the UK here at the moment, the sun is shining and we are very much on a path to some brighter times to come. My kids actually went back to school. They've been at school, of course, and their teachers have been doing an incredible job teaching them online, but they went back to school in real life today. So it feels like a moment of change and transition, which indeed is something that we will talk a bit more about later in this episode. So this podcast, as you know, is a place where leaders can find a bit of inspiration, some tools, some techniques, some ideas and some things to try. And this episode, we're going to be sharing a slightly different kind of leadership letter in that the letter we focus on today is one that was sent last year from a leader. You may have seen it. It went viral last year from the leader of um, Airbnb, Brian Chesky. And there are some really interesting things that I'd love you to have an opportunity to unpick as leaders and listen to as leaders that might be useful to you as you reflect on your own leadership. Also coming up in this episode will be the Leadership Letters Lowdown. And it's been really good to hear from a couple of aspiring leaders in the last few weeks who've said that they're finding the podcast really useful in thinking about how they might adapt to leadership and what they can be doing to learn from other leaders, to practice and to prepare from leadership. So absolutely loved hearing that. And I do think that one of the key aspects of leadership, which is actually key to coaching too, is to know yourself. The more work you can do to know yourself, the stronger position you are in to understand what leads you to see things the way you see them, to make the choices that you make and to understand the impact that you have and indeed to understand the impact that other people have on you. The better you know yourself, the more you know what motivates you and what the difference is that you want to be making in your life and through the organisation that you work with. My supervisor, Yvette Elcock. Hello, Yvette. She has a lovely phrase she uses when we work together. She talks about active reflection that leads to reflective action. And that's what we're inviting you to do here on the Leadership Letters podcast, as you feel part of a community of leaders and future leaders, using this as a starting point for some active reflection. Choosing from what you hear, the things you could apply to yourself and do something with, Use as a starting point to learn more about yourself as a leader so you can convert that to some reflective action, something you try out that's different in the way that you think, in the way that you behave as a leader, and indeed then to notice in turn the impact that has so you can decide whether you want to keep doing it or change it. So really delighted to hear that you're finding it useful. Let's dive in today then as we prepare to hear the letter that I want to share. I'd like to share first with you a few things that you can listen out for in this letter. So something that has been coming up a lot for leaders in our work recently, and in fact is something that I've always found really interesting in terms of leadership, is getting to know ourselves in terms of how we deal with stress, our response to stress. We often talk about being in fight flight So those extreme responses to high stress that compel us to take action, not necessarily action that we think about particularly carefully, often not even the action that's useful, but the action that we feel compelled to take because of the stress that we're under. So in primitive terms, that whole thing about 
saving ourselves from the bear at the watering hole by fighting for our lives or by running for our lives. So I've always been very interested in how that stress can hijack us, how those very obvious moments there are when the sirens are blaring, the alarms are going off, we know we're stressed, we know that we're reacting, are interesting in themselves. But where I think it gets really interesting is what I tend to think of as the low hum, like the air conditioning unit in the background that you only notice the sound of it when it switches off. So what are those low hum stresses, the everyday stresses just there in the background? And how are we reacting to them? And how are our reactions and our responses to those low hum kinds of threats having an impact on our decisions, on our relationships, on our conversations? There's so much interesting stuff in there, I think. So what I'd love to do today is share with you seven examples of threat responses and ask you to think about for you, what's the low hum version? What do you notice about you and what does it reveal that you could be more curious about? So here are the seven, the seven stress responses. The first one we've already talked about, fight. So hopefully losing our temper isn't something that's going to happen at work. But what's the low hum version of that? Maybe some irritation, for example, expressed in a tone of voice or a facial expression or a tapping of a pencil on a notepad. Or I know something that I do under the table when I'm a bit irritated is my foot starts to wiggle quite increasingly violently. And that's a sign to me that perhaps there's something going on here that I could take a bit more care of and take responsibility for my reaction to. So flight is the next one. We've already talked a little bit about that one too. If the extreme is to run away, what's the low hum version? Rather than running away, you're doing something like change the topic of a conversation. Maybe you arrive late or leave early. Maybe you avoid something or someone. Freeze is another threat response that you're probably familiar with. And again, what's the version, the, the low hum version? Going quiet, maybe leaving an email unanswered. Maybe just not getting round to working on something. So we're heading to perhaps some slightly less familiar territory. Fight, flight, freeze are the ones we tend to all hear about quite a lot. The next one is flock. So this is about grouping together. So maybe this is agreeing with somebody over a coffee about how awful things are or how awful a decision is or how awful that person is. This is about perhaps seeking people out that agree with you in order to defend a position or justify a decision. So how might you be flocking in response to a stress? The next response that's been identified is to feel flooded, to feel flooded with emotion. So I think there's something interesting here about getting to know ourselves better. When are we perhaps closer to tipping point than we might have recognised? And also to about, this is about naming some emotions because emotions ideally aren't something to be avoided. They're something to be acknowledged, accepted and, and managed. So I think there's something useful in this whole notion of being flooded with emotion about knowing a bit better when your banks are close to bursting or when how you feel is making it hard for you to think and what the difference is between feeling something, perhaps worrying about something and truly thinking about it. Fawning is another one. I've only heard this one relatively recently, but I think it's really interesting that a stress response could be to fawn. So to agree with people, perhaps, maybe to be flattering somebody, 
there's something about, it's a bit like the flock, something about how you might be agreeing, making something easier for you or someone else through the way that you behave with them. And then the last one of the seven F's that we're thinking about in response to stress today is fatigue. And I think this, again, is really interesting at the moment. We're a, in the, here in the UK, we're a year now into pandemic lockdowns and all that has gone with that. And fatigue is, of course, something that we notice, but I do think we ignore it. And sometimes fatigue works super, super hard to be heard. And we've talked about low hum. I think fatigue is something that we tend not to listen to until the sirens are blaring. And I wonder how we might listen to it sooner, how we might take note, how we might think about pauses, rests, breaks, and how that might in turn help a, a more positive cycle of um, recuperation and restoration. I was talking to somebody recently and we were talking about the reality of the fact that We've just said that schools are going back today in the UK, but there was a reality to the fact that during the course of a break, there wouldn't really be much of a break. And we said, right, OK, what can you do in the 30 seconds that truly is yours in this next 15 minutes? What can you do in that 30 seconds that you choose to do that will help you restore just a little that's better than nothing? So a really interesting question for you there is how you're managing the fatigue that comes with stress. So having spotted a threat response at play, the work for you as leaders is to work out what's contributing to that stress and in turn, what can you do about it? And it might be that what you can do about it is choose your response, or it might be a conversation or an action you can take. It might be that you choose to think differently about a situation or a person or indeed yourself. So the idea behind getting to know your own threat responses is to then know that you're in a threat response so you know your signals. You can pay attention to them and then you can approach them next time from a thoughtful rather than a threatened place. You're listening to Leadership Letters, a reflection on all things leadership. Coming up later, the usual to read, to watch and to listen to recommendations in the Leadership Letters Lowdown. First, let's stay with our thinking about threats and rewards. I'd love to share with you the work of David Rock. David Rock identified five domains, five triggers in the brain for threat and reward responses. And as I head towards sharing this month's leadership letter, I want to share these with you because I think it's a great opportunity to see an illustration of these really interesting triggers at work. So these five domains I like to think of them as buttons that can be pushed and that mean that we are operating from a place of fear and threat rather than from reward where we get to use our whole brain and bring all of our cognitive brilliance to whatever it is we're looking at and doing. When we know what these buttons are, then we can notice whether or not they've been pushed and then we can choose to do something different. So we can increase the chances that we are fully present to what is happening so these are status, certainty, autonomy, relatedness, and fairness. SCARF is the lovely neat acronym. So you might be wearing your scarf. So these buttons can be pushed in you. Status, how do I fit into the hierarchy around here? Certainty, how sure am I about what's coming next? Autonomy, how in control am I of what's happening around me? Relatedness. How do I fit in around here socially? And fairness, 
Am I getting an equal opportunity? So I think this is a really, really interesting thing to know about ourselves as leaders. Which of these buttons are most easily pushed? Because you'll all have ones that are more easily pushed in you than others. So, for example, I know that for me, the fairness button is one that's really easily pushed in me. So if my internal dialogue is that's not fair, that's something that I need to check out. Now, it might not be fair, but the chances are I've had a stronger, dare I even say it, an overreaction to what it is that I've heard, because I know that's something that's easily pushed in me. So what kinds of things do you know are more easily pushed in you around status, for example? Or maybe it's about autonomy, your control of events. There's another really interesting thing, I think, in terms of certainty here. If someone's certainty buttons are getting pushed, and I think all of our certainty buttons are very pushed with what's been happening around us in the past year, what is it that you can be certain of? So I've known leaders have a significant impact on people's ability to be thinking and present because they've settled those people by saying, here's what we don't know. Just by being sure about what you're unsure of, you can help people settle some of that certainty and that need for certainty. So later on in the To Watch recommendation, there's somewhere you can go to see a bit more about these scarf buttons. And as we've said already, getting to know yourself first is the key. But I'd love you to listen now to this letter. Brian Chesky, the CEO of Airbnb, wrote this letter last year and it, it went viral. It was everywhere. And a great exercise for you as a leader would be to listen to this letter and notice everything we've said so far about managing threats and rewards and about scarf. See what you notice. This is my seventh time talking to you from my house. Each time we've talked, I've shared good news and bad news. But today I have to share some very sad news. When you've asked me about layoffs, I've said that nothing is off the table. Today I must confirm that we are reducing the size of the Airbnb workforce. For a company like us whose mission is centred around belonging, this is incredibly difficult to confront and it will be even harder for those who have to leave Airbnb. I'm going to share as many details as I can on how I arrived at this decision, what we're doing for those leaving and what will happen next. Let me start with how we arrived at this decision. We are collectively living through the most harrowing crisis of our lifetime, and as it began to unfold, global travel came to a standstill. Airbnb's business has been hit hard, with revenue this year forecasted to be less than half of what we earned in 2019. In response, we raised $2 billion in capital and dramatically cut costs that touched nearly every corner of Airbnb. While these actions were necessary, it became clear that we would have to go further when we faced two hard truths. One, we don't know exactly when travel will return. Two, when travel does return, it will look different. While we know Airbnb's business will fully recover, the changes it will undergo are not temporary or short-lived. Because of this, we need to make more fundamental changes to Airbnb by reducing the size of our workforce around a more focused business strategy. Out of our 7,500 Airbnb employees, nearly 1,900 teammates will have to leave Airbnb, comprising around 25% of our company. Since we cannot afford to do everything that we used to, these cuts had to be mapped to a more focused business. A more focused business. 
will travel in this new world will look different and we need to evolve Airbnb accordingly. People will want options that are closer to home, safer and more affordable. But people also yearn for something that feels like it's been taken away from them. Human connection. When we started Airbnb, it was about belonging and connection. This crisis has sharpened our focus to get back to our roots, back to the basics, back to what is truly special about Airbnb. Everyday people who host their homes and offer experiences. This means that we will need to reduce our investment in activities that do not directly support the core of our host community. We are pausing our efforts in transportation and Airbnb studios and we have to scale back our investments in hotels and lux. These decisions are not a reflection of the work from people on these teams and it does not mean everyone on these teams will be leaving us. Additionally, teams across all of Airbnb will be impacted. Many teams will be reduced in size based on how well they map to where Airbnb is headed. How we approached reductions. It was important that we had a clear set of principles guided by our core values for how we would approach reductions in our workforce. These were our guiding principles. Map all reductions to our future business strategy and the capabilities we will need. Do as much as we can for those who are impacted. Be unwavering in our commitment to diversity. Optimise for one-to-one communication for those impacted. Wait to communicate any decisions until all details are landed. Transparency of only partial information can make matters worse. I have done my best to stay true to these principles. Process for making reductions. Our process started with creating a more focused business strategy built on a sustainable cost model. We assessed how each team mapped to our new strategy and we determined the size and shape of each team going forward. We then did a comprehensive review of every team member and made decisions based on critical skills and how well those skills matched our future business needs. The result is that we will have to part with teammates that we love and value. We have great people leaving Airbnb and other companies will be lucky to have them. To take care of those that are leaving, we've looked across severance, equity, healthcare and job support and done our best to treat everyone in a compassionate and thoughtful way. Severance. Employees in the US will receive 14 weeks of base pay plus one additional week for every year at Airbnb. Tenure will be rounded to the nearest year. For example, if someone has been at Airbnb for three years and seven months, they will get additional four weeks of salary, or 18 weeks of total pay. Outside the US, all employees will receive at least 14 weeks of pay, plus tenure increases consistent with their country-specific practices. Equity. We are dropping the one-year cliff on equity for everyone we've hired in the past year so that everyone departing, regardless of how long they've been here, is a shareholder. Additionally, everyone leaving is eligible for the May 25th vesting date. Healthcare. In the midst of a global health crisis of unknown duration, we want to limit the burden of healthcare costs. In the US, we will cover 12 months of health insurance through COBRA. In other countries, we will cover health insurance costs through the end of 2020. This is because we're either legally unable to continue coverage or our current plans will not allow for an extension. We also provide four months of mental health support 
through Conterra. Job support. Our goal is to connect our teammates, leaving Airbnb with new opportunities. Here are five ways we can help. Alumni Talent Directory. We'll be launching a public-facing website to help teammates leaving find new jobs. Departing employees can opt in to have both profiles, resumes and work samples accessible to potential employers. Alumni Placement Team. For the remainder of 2020, a significant portion of Airbnb recruiting will become an alumni placement team. Recruiters that are staying with Airbnb will provide support to departing employees to help them find their next job. Rise Smart. We're offering four months of career services through Rise Smart, a company that specialises in career transition and job placement services. Employee offered alumni support. We're encouraging all remaining employees to opt in to a programme to assist departing teammates find their next role. Laptops. A computer is an important tool to find new work, so we are allowing everyone leaving to keep their Apple laptops. Here is what will happen next. I want to provide clarity to all of you as soon as possible. We have employees in 24 countries and the time it will take to provide clarity will vary based on local laws and practices. Some countries require notifications about employment to be received in a very specific way. While our process may differ by country, we've tried to be thoughtful in planning for every employee. In the US and Canada, I can provide immediate clarity. Within the next few hours, those of you leaving Airbnb will receive a calendar invite to a departure meeting with a senior leader in your department. It was important to us that wherever we legally could, people were informed in a personal one-to-one -one conversation. The final working day for departing employees based in the US and Canada will be Monday, May 11th. We felt Monday would give people time to begin taking next steps and say goodbye. We understand and respect how important this is. Some employees who are staying will have a new role and will receive a meeting invite with the subject new role to learn more about it. For those of you in the US and Canada who are staying on the Airbnb team, you will not receive a calendar invite. At 6pm Pacific time, I will host a world meeting for our Asia Pacific teams. At 12am Pacific time, I will host a world app meeting for Europe and Middle East teams. Following each of these meetings, we'll proceed with next steps in each country based on local practices. I've asked all Airbnb leaders to wait to bring their teams together until the end of this week, out of respect to our teammates being impacted. I want to give everyone the next few days to process this, and I'll host a CEO Q&A again this Thursday at 4pm Pacific time. Some final words. As I've learned these past eight weeks, a crisis brings you clarity about what is truly important. Though we've been through a whirlwind, some things are more clear to me than ever before. First, I'm thankful for everyone here at Airbnb. Throughout this harrowing experience, I've been inspired by all of you. Even in the worst of circumstances, I've seen the very best of us. The world needs human connection now more than ever, and I know that Airbnb will rise to the occasion. I believe this because I believe in you. Second, I have a deep feeling of love for all of you. Our mission is not merely about travel. When we started Airbnb, our original tagline was travel like a human. The human part was always more important than the travel part. What we are about is belonging, and at the centre of belonging is love. To those of us staying, 
One of the most important ways we can honour those who are leaving is for them to know their contributions mattered and that they will always be part of Airbnb's story. I am confident their work will live on, just like this mission will live on. To those leaving Airbnb, I am truly sorry. Please know this is not your fault. The world will never stop seeking the qualities and talents that brought you to Airbnb, that helped make Airbnb. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for sharing them with us. Brian. A big thank you to my colleague, John, for reading Brian Chesky's letter. A great example there of the notion we talked about, about what clarity can you provide? What certainty can you provide? So when Brian Chesky talks about, I want to provide clarity to all of you as soon as possible and indicates the time it will take to provide further clarity and where he can provide immediate clarity. And even for those that are not getting that immediate clarity, there's something about how he recognises that he is thinking of everybody and thinking of when he can offer the clarity, hearing what someone else's clarity might be, meaning that people can trust that theirs is on the way. So some really powerful ways to use clarity even when you don't have it. And the other thing I wanted to pick up on is how he closes this letter, which isn't something we've talked about in today's episode, but it is something we've talked about before, which is compassion and also reminding people of purpose, what it is that you are contributing to. So when he says one of the most important ways we can honour those who are leaving is for them to know that their contributions mattered and ties this to what it is that he wanted to do and what the organisation wanted to do, which is to travel like a human and says the human part was always more important than the travel part. What we are about is belonging and at the centre of belonging is love. I really think that his compassion and his connection to purpose shines through those last paragraphs. They're very human, and that's, after all, what every organisation is. It's a collection of humans. So there is the honesty, the difficult decisions, there's the reasoning being shared, there's what clarity that he can offer being shared, and ultimately, there's the human connection, appreciation and affection. So tons in this letter, I think, for us all to learn from. And I'm grateful that he shared it so openly. And I'd love to hear what you noticed. Do get in touch and let me know what you noticed, either about SCARF or threats or rewards, or indeed about the ways that you have been led or the ways that you would like to lead as you heard that letter. Time now then for this month's Leadership Letters Lowdown. And starting with a to-read recommendation, I was gifted this rather lovely book. I can see it, of course, in front of me and you can't, but it does look very beautiful. And it's called What I Know For Sure. And it's a collection of writing by Oprah Winfrey. And we've talked a lot actually already about certainty. And and I think this is a really lovely exercise to do. What do you know for sure? What are the values and the certainties that you can hold on to? My granddad, one of the leaders that very much inspires me, he always used to talk about yardsticks. So I really love the thought that when we are struggling to make decisions, to think clearly, we can come back to what we know for sure. So this is one of the examples from Oprah, which also speaks to something that you will have heard me talk about before. Really powerful, really important for leaders. She says, what I know for sure is that your breath is your anchor. The gift you've been given, that we've all been given to centre ourselves in this very moment. 
Whenever I have an encounter that involves even the slightest tension, I stop, draw in a deep breath and release. Ever noticed how often you unconsciously hold your breath? Once you start paying attention, it might surprise you to see how much tension you've been carrying around inside. Nothing is more effective than a deep, slow inhale and release for surrendering what you can't control and focusing again on what's right in front of you. It's page 170 for those of you who like to know where to look things up, but a, a beautiful piece of advice amongst many in that book. In terms of to watch, I'm going to put a link in the notes, actually. There's a video by um, Beyond Performance that is a really, really wonderful summary of SCARF, the David Rock work that we talked about earlier. Um, I'll put some links to various articles and to David Rock's book. But if you've only got a couple of minutes, this fantastic little YouTube animation of SCARF is a really great place to start to get to know David Rock's work better. And finally, the To Listen To recommendation this week comes from Patrick Lencioni. His books have had a mention before, actually, on Leadership Letters. His podcast, At The Table, is a, is a really great listen. And I've been listening to episode 80. The title of that episode is Change is Easy, Transition is Hard. And I think there's something really interesting at the moment as we enter another series of transitions and changes, this time as we come out of lockdown. I think there's something to get really curious about here where rather than seeing going into lockdown as bad and coming out of lockdown as good, we step back from that and understand what the challenges have been, what we found useful, what we've learned, and that we also mark the moments and think about what it is in, that we are gaining and losing. And Patrick Lencioni talks in this episode about the influence of William Bridges, who's somebody that very much influenced the work that Alison Lucas and I did on endings in organisations. And he talks about how positive change can involve the same amount of loss, stress and tension as a negative one. One of the things I noticed just today is how quiet my house is and the boys have gone back to school and that's a really great thing. And there is also a, a bit of a sense of loss and change as they have done that. So I think there's something really powerful and interesting for all of us to think about how we're marking these moments and thinking about how we get curious about them and find our way through them on both that intellectual learning level and also that emotional level. And that's it. Thank you so much for joining us on Leadership Letters today. You can still, of course, get in touch. Let us know who you would write your leadership letter to or who you might want to hear from in the podcast by getting in touch at thecausewaycoaching.com. And there's one more F for you. So follow is the new thing that we ask you to do, please, in relation to the podcast. Subscribing is out, following is in. So please do head to Apple, Google, Amazon and Spotify, wherever you have downloaded this podcast from and hit follow. We'd be really grateful too if you'd share it with anybody who you think might find it useful. This is the Leadership Letters podcast, a reflection of all things leadership. See you soon.